Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, and welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. I'm joined today by Nat Sharp. Hi, Nat. Hey, y'all. What will you be talking about today? Well, a topic I think about quite a bit. Um, it's basically, how do we love ourselves? How, do, how does Nat love Nat? How does y'all love y'all? And... Does that prevent us from loving other people more or less? Or, I mean, does it, does it help? Does it hurt? And I also, uh, I want to kind of bring, t- go into uh, my background a little bit of, you know, how I was raised and different things that have contributed to where, where what I currently believe. Perfect. Um, it's a perfect fit for the podcast then. Um, yeah, if, if you don't mind kind of going back as far as you like in time, and picking a starting point when you maybe have the first notions, maybe not even explicit idea, but feeling of love towards yourself. What's the relationship there? Is it present? Is it not present? And what are some of your earliest thoughts on the, on the concept? Interesting. Well, I certainly, I guess one of my earliest memories isn't so much a feeling of love. It's more of the absence. And that was when I was probably about two or three and I had a a pacifier, you know, I would suck on, you know, ever since I was a baby. And then at some point my parents decided I was too old for it. So they started what they did and I, they probably read it in some book, but they they would take scissors and they would, they snipped off the very end of it. And then every day they would snip off more and more and more. So like I would, eventually there was nothing to suck on. And I just remember the one point in that process, like just crying, crying my eyes out and just feeling, I think, betrayed, feeling, feeling betrayed and uh, helpless, feeling betrayed and helpless. And I think that was, uh, I mean, I, I, that seems symbolic somehow. Um, it's definitely stuck with me. But it's like that, that was like a way I had of loving myself, maybe. I mean, in a very concrete way, you know, it was, it was a very, yeah, I think that that really is key because it's like, I had found this way where I basically, you know, was giving myself this thing that I wanted, this comfort, and then it was taken away by this outside force. And I basically just, I, I had no idea what to do. I had no idea how to replace that. Wow. Yeah. I can, I can take on the role of, of you as, um, I don't know, however many years old you were there, but. Yeah, I can definitely feel that it could be something um, bordering traumatic, right? When you find this self-soothing mechanism and it's taken away from you. But then it raises the question, like, you say you couldn't replace it. So what's happening there going forward in terms of, do you look for something different to, to achieve the same effect? Or do you have a personality change to deal with that? Because I think those two options are on the table at that point like 
either maybe harden somehow and protect yourself better, let's say, uh, maybe gaining self-sufficiency so you wouldn't have to depend on people that might do it to you or finding something different. What was it for you? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it was the, uh, the other, the other option of <laughs> basically internalizing it somehow in a way that probably wasn't helpful, basically becoming more dependent, more helpless, um, as opposed to, I mean, you could argue like either way would probably, you know, had its own harmful, you know, side effects, but, but, uh, I, th I think the lesson I took away from that was, was not only am I dependent on other people for my happiness, they're also extremely un untrustworthy. So, yeah, I don't think that, I mean, I, I mean, we can't, we, you know, it's, it's easy to extrapolate a whole bunch from one, one incident, but I'm sure it's, it's probably been repeated over and over again, you know, over the course of my childhood. But I, th I think that was, you know, personality wise, it's like, that's, that's kind of how I, how I learned to respond was basically just, just internalizing it and be like, okay, this is a problem with me, um, as opposed to the outside. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. In terms of going forward after that, do you have any other kind of stations that you that you land in when you think about the development of thinking about this concept or about loving yourself? Where would be another place where you kind of stopped and looked at it? Yeah, well, early on, <laughs> I guess, uh, and I didn't get really, really a Freudian, but, uh, but ba basically in terms of like my first like kind of, you know, sexual explorations, which weren't even really that sexual, like, like one time, like I was like probably like six or seven and like I was swinging on a swing and one of my best friends was a girl. And, you know, we did the thing where you, you sit on each other's lap, like a spider and you go back and, you know, you both, you're both are pumping. And, and we were, we were doing that and just having fun and, you know, just not even, it wasn't even really sexual, but I remember getting in trouble for that. You know, I mean, I, I remember being you know severely reprimanded. For, for doing that and, and there was a few other instances of just like you know messing around with my friends and stuff and being caught and being being you know having this severe reaction to like basically you know it's very innocent kind of just exploration right and once again like not having any idea why i mean same thing with the pacifier right not having any idea why it was happening all, all but all all from my perspective all i knew was i was doing something that was enjoyable and just you know following my interests and then bam, you know, like this, these authorities in my life who are basically, you know, life and death to me, my gods, you know, they, they step in and make it very clear that this is not acceptable. So of course, you know, and then ad through adolescence and stuff that, you know, that, that went, you know, e even more extreme in a certain sense, um, you know, kind of living this, this double life, but, but still always, always believing deep down that they were right. Like the, that was very important to me. That it was very important to like my sense of identity and like sense of like security that no matter what I was doing wrong or bad, I always agreed with them. Even if I did it right, even if I d disobeyed, I would still agree with, with them. And does that have anything to do with the kind of environment that you grew up in the place where you grew up? That's quite possible. So yeah. So for people that don't know my background, which I, I don't talk about that much. So you probably don't. Um, I was raised in a, it was basically a commune or a, maybe a, I think someone called it a soft cult one time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so it, it was it was started in the 1970s back when you know that it was you know hippies were you know had started communes all over the place and this was a little group of they were christians so they were basing their their uh, background or their kind of community on like the early church where everything was held in common and you know people lived together so it started off as you know a bunch of college kids and then you know some of those college kids you know got married they had family they had kids themselves so now you know 40 years later well i, I guess so i i was born about about 20 years after it started 15 20 years and my parents were where my mom was the daughter of the founder so like the, he was the daughter she, she was the daughter of the kind of the leader and then there was kind of this little schism that happened in the in the 90s and every good commune needs a, a schism at some point. oh yeah, yeah it's it's inevitable right i mean that's, that's <laughs> i mean there's a tiny group of people like 30 40 people they wanted to yeah. do the early church stuff so there must be a schism oh exactly right right I mean, that actually is very traditional right they're, they're, they're following in the footsteps so and the interest in the interesting thing was is like my parents were they wanted to become catholic so before that they were just kind of their own denomination they were just you know doing their own thing interpreting the bible however they wanted to and my dad specifically had gotten really interested in like the early church fathers and like he, he kind of trade anyways he, he got really interested in, in like becoming part of a, something larger like he, he basically didn't want to be a cult leader if that makes sense like so he found himself in this position where he was becoming more the leader like he, he and my mom were becoming the leaders and he didn't want that like he he wanted to be part of a a larger group right um and so so we ended up becoming catholic so this i, I was raising this really weird thing so like that was like when i was two years old so i was raised like we were catholic but we we live like no other catholics like we still live together we we dress like the amish like i wore suspenders the women wore like dresses and you know little scarves and you know we had like one source of income so we shared all the money and there's like one or two one other family there and they were basically my siblings you know like i knew them since birth right and we were homeschooled and so yeah so yeah that, that's my background it was so basically a lot of a lot of uh, authoritarianism in terms yeah, of religion as well i mean religion itself right. is not very forgiving right. <clears throat> about asking questions and so on so that kind of yeah. ties back to the background you gave before with the um you know you're being told what to do and not having a lot of say against it right and there's definitely certain areas where it was stronger than others and that's why like i don't i don't consider it a cult um because it wasn't as controlling you know it's, it's like a spectrum right like like you, like some families are cults some some families like are so controlling like the kids can never leave like you know it's just like oppressive right uh, so it, you know it's somewhere in between there i think the the most powerful effect of, of that though is just being with a bunch of other people that believe exactly the same thing as as like your parents or you you do like that is like i don't know if you've ever read cialdini um he wrote a book called persuasion robert cialdini is like this famous uh, psychologist who who wrote about like the seven most um powerful types of persuasion and one of those is called social proof which is basically like what we do as social animals like we, we will if we're in a situation where we don't know what's going what, what to do we will look around and see what other people are doing and then basically copy them so being raised in a group like that, like not having outside friends, like I didn't really have any friends that, you know, were 
part of normal families. I didn't have any friends that weren't Catholic. I didn't have any, I mean, I, I guess I had some friends, kind of friends that were like, you know, other Catholic, like homeschooling families. That was kind of another little world. But so, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's, that's a very, I mean, so, so there's like strict authoritarianism, which, which there was to some degree, but there's also just <laughs> not being exposed to like any other ideas and just having that, that super strong tribal sense of identity of like, this is who we are. This is what we believe. This is what's true. And it's like, you don't even have to enforce it though. Like you don't even have to enforce belief when it's just so obvious what's true. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that makes sense. So when you are being told something or um, being coerced into giving up your uh, pacifier or whatever it is reprimanded for doing something totally innocent, there's not really much of yourself to to find there, right? That really can put up mm, a, can put up a can put up a fight or anything like that. There's uh, it sounds like there's not much of a of a self almost. I mean, to use other terms, it's like you did not have a meaning crisis. You had other problems, but not a meaning crisis because I think you were already part of this like big super organism in a way, right? <laughs> exactly no that's that's a really good uh good insight yeah super organism that's what it, that's what it was like and and even you know it's been about uh, 12 like eight years since 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 we left and it really is like i mean like, i i don't think i'll ever regain that sense of belonging that i had like i i think it really is i my guess is that that is like that's closer <laughs> to how like instinct instinctively or you know like how we evolved to basically belong to a super tight-knit group like that of family and extended family um all believing the same thing and i mean you could probably relate to this as uh you know being uh israeli um like this this is like 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 right right out of the bible right i mean yeah. And growing in, and growing up in a kibbutz, which is also was started oh, as a commune exactly. where everybody's pulling the resources and yeah, and any sort of power <clears throat> they had, they shared in the, so whether it's resources, um, working hands, whatever, everything is shared. Yeah. 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 And like, I mean, I'm sure from your experience, like, I mean, there, there might've been natives, but that was mostly a positive experience, right? So I grew up in a, in a period of transition. It was not, uh, the kibbutz started, my kibbutz was founded in 1939. So by the time I was born in 87, it was transitioning in the mid nineties. As I grew up, it wasn't as uh, strict. Uh, a lot of people started wanting to have, uh, there was a process of individualization. And, and I, I actually, I consider myself very lucky because I have, very good friends that are like brothers to me emotionally and yeah it definitely felt very like a very strong foundation um, psychically speaking um, today i found that i'm also i've started to diverge and kind of go into my own world and what remains mostly is the is the emotional bonds but in terms of communicating over ideas or something like that I think a lot of them are satisfied with being part of this community and just keeping, keeping with tradition, which mm. is just, just something that personally I could never do. I don't think there would ever have been a society that where I would have been completely a hundred percent on board with everything in it. You know, I, yeah. 
I yeah, I it yep. sounds strange to me that some people actually can do it. Yeah, and yeah, from my perspective, it's like yeah, like I said, like it, it, it slowly started. It, it was in a certain sense almost like a double life because it's like yeah, emotionally I was like one hundred percent sold. You know, I, I believed like all all the stuff, but that there was this little part of my mind, and ba basically the. I mean, <laughs> for, for probably the, the two most rebellious parts of, of me were uh, the sexual part and the uh, intellectual part. And ne neither of those were satisfied. I'll, I'll put it that way. Like ne neither of those were very satisfied with, with the, uh, with <laughs> how, you know, the, the current situation. We, we and, can imagine. Um, yeah. <sighs> so, so the think back about it, where, where does this begin to crack for you? Where do you, increasingly find more of yourself um, that you could even begin to consider that you should love in terms of loving yourself? Um, how did you discover that there is a self that is not um, necessarily on board with every idea that goes around this community? You know, the interesting thing is I don't, <laughs> in a certain sense, it didn't, it didn't happen until after I left. So I, I guess I can talk about that a little bit. So after I, after I kind of graduated high school, I went to a this uh, like a one year film school because like I like making like we, we weren't allowed to watch movies, but we were allowed to get we, we, they gave us like my parents gave us a a video camera, so me and my friends would we would make movies, and and then every once in a while we'd you know like we'd watch a movie maybe like once a week or something right, and then we'd be like oh let's make a movie like that, so that that was kind of like you know a way around that. Um, I, I at one point I asked my parents if if I if I learned how to make video games if i could play them but they said no so that, so that, that that was that was canned but uh but <laughs> I, they did let me make movies so that was that was nice so i went to this film school and and that was like my first kind of time like being on my own and stuff but i didn't really i didn't take a lot of initiative i kind of just went along with you know like my roommates my friends and then afterwards like they were going off you know getting jobs and doing stuff and like that was like this like i couldn't even imagine it like i couldn't even imagine like I mean, and looking back on it, it's like, I mean, part of it was just the, the practical fears, right? Of like, you know, how, how, how do I survive? How do I make money? How do I, but I think, I think the larger thing was, was like you said, the meaning, like there was just no meaning for me to like go out on my own. Like, like I couldn't, like that didn't make sense. Like what, like I remember one time, like my brother, I had an older brother who was, like he, he knew from very early on that he was going to get out and he was going to go live his own life. And like, like he would do like whenever he could, like if he was visiting friends, you know, friends or family, he would watch TV. He would read, you know, tons of books, basically in, in your words, like forming that sense of self, like from up uh, from outside. Like he, he had friends that didn't live in the community. So he, he was very, he, from very early on as a teenager, he knew he was going to get out. He was going to go to college. He was going to do his own thing. And I remember like, I was probably about, you know, 1920, like talking to my dad about him. And like, I, cause I, I remember like, okay, my brother, you know, graduated college, he got married. And like, my dad was saying, like, I was asking like, yeah, where, where is he living now? And like, my dad said some, some town, you know, you know, hundreds of miles away. And I was like, well, what is he doing? And dad looked at me, he was like, well, he's, he's just living. He's just living. <laughs> and it's like, and like in my mind, like that didn't make any sense. Like that, that made no sense. Like I couldn't even compute like what that meant. Like, like being like, in the community, like there's always like, you know, different projects. There's this mission, right? There's always a sense of mission. There's a sense of like being 
basically, and this is, I think, why cults are so attractive to people. Actually, like, this reminds me of a quote. I, I don't know who said it, but they said uh, people who desire wealth or you know, money get sucked into pyramid schemes. People who desire meaning get sucked into cults. And, and that yeah. really, that's what they're selling. That really is what they're selling. Like, so like, I felt like I was the center of the universe, not me specifically, but my group, I felt like my group, like we were mm. like the true believers. We were the ones who were, who were like, my parents were these super radical people that had rejected modern, you know, society. They, they had, they had lived in their, the world and they had found it wanting. They had rejected it. They had formed this, you know, crazy radical group that was, you know, there's all, there was always a little bit of sense of persecution, even just like from misunderstanding, you know, people calling us cults. And like, we would talk about, you know, all these, you know, the, I mean, it was a very, there was a strong sense of us and them. Right. And, and it was, it was the fascinating thing too. And this is where I'm really interested in like psychology because it's like, I don't think my parents were pushing that. Like my parents would come out and say like, you know, we don't believe this is the only way to live. You know, like they, they were part of this larger group, the Catholic church. So, you know, and it's, they didn't believe that other Catholics needed to live this way, but being a child and being raised in that, in that group, like I was becoming more radical than they were. And like, and some of my siblings were the same way. They were becoming more radical in a certain sense than my parents. Right. And then there was other ones, like my brother who was just like, no, you know, screw this. I'm out of here. So, so that, I thought that was very interesting. Um, like, you know, that the difference between the founders of a group and the, and the children who are raised in the group and the difference, uh, you know, in psychology there. Um, so then going back to like, you know, after like film school, I, I, I just went back. Like I, I had no, I was like, what, what am I supposed to do? Just go live? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, li- like, wait, I, I, <laughs> so looking back, I, I, I like follow my own desires. Like what? Like there's no, <laughs> there's no meaning in that. There's no, like, I'm not allowed to do that. There's no, you know, like, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? So I went back and I basically did what my parents wanted me to do. You know, so I worked in the business. I, I, I did jobs that they wanted me to do. I, uh, I wasn't really happy, you know, like happy, happy, but it's like, at least I had that sense of belonging and meaning, right? Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Um, first of all, I think that, I think we, talked about it before in private but yeah there's a tendency for people in in tight-knit groups it's either you get out um, or sometimes for the younger generation it's not enough to tell the parents or other major figures in their life like I'm a hundred percent with you sometimes it's on the younger generation to be a hundred and ten percent into that you know and there's the, then there's this process of of radicalization um, I think it's common in, in many, many groups. And mm. yeah, I think David Deutsch talks a little bit about, or not a little bit, a lot of his work is about how creative people in tight-knit groups with um, illiberal agendas use all their creativity to become more illiberal, um, make less scientific progress and just go deeper and deeper into the, the faith thing. Uh, to prove themselves worthy of, of being belonging in the group and eventually taking over as leaders. Um, so yep. that's just yep. a, a side note. Wow. Um, oh my gosh. Yep. Yeah. That, that makes, that makes sense. That reminds me of a David Fe- or Richard Feynman quote too, where he was, he was talking to these uh, Orthodox Jews in, uh, in New York 
and basically like these super smart young people were coming to him and asking him these questions like like you know is is electricity fire like that that was the big one because you know the the sabbath rules right where it's you're not allowed to use fire right um and he was getting so frustrated by these questions i mean he, like he, he, was, he was in good faith trying to answer them you know but but he was getting so fr- frustrated just and he had a, he had a very similar takeaway as david Doy, just basically saying like here's these super intelligent guys and all they're using their intelligence for is like better explaining like the talmud and the, you know the, the torah yes i mean it's like in his mind it was being wasted <laughs> because it was basically it wasn't it wasn't new information right it was just like they were just taking this thing that was like and then david deutsch and i'm reading beginning of infinity right now oh good but it was like he he you know he had he's so good at like basically saying like you know like for most of human history it's always been this idea that we are we know everything we we know or at least everything that's important everything that's important we know we know and it's just and from then it's just a matter of like you know defining it down you know a little bit you know clearer maybe right but it's like did someone like me like who has like this desire for like you know for for the truth <laughs> I, I would say or at least consistency of thought it's like it was so frustrating it was so frustrating to like and like so like here's a story like you know like reading the bible right like i mean i could barely read the bible because I would, I would start reading it, and I'd be like, oh, that's, that's inconsistent, that's inconsistent, that doesn't sound true, like, what, what, what the heck, like, I'm supposed to believe that, like, what? It's like, for the most part, I just didn't read it, you know, because it just, it was, it was, uh, it, it was the cognitive dissonance was too strong, and I remember, like, at one point, like, talking to my dad, and basically, like, for example, like, say in the, uh, well, it's so Old Testament, there, there's, uh, you know, like, there's two different accounts of creation, right? Yeah. Like, there's two different accounts. Like, like what one, the, you know, animals are made on the second day and the other one they're made on the third day. Or, I mean, it's just like, and they're like back to back and you, you read it and you're like, wait a second, wait, what, wait, which one's, which one's, which one's true. And, and this is where like, you know, in every religion <laughs> has a, or, you know, denomination has their, has their different, you know, ways of, you know, in, you know, handling those issues. Right. I mean, it's so frustrating how, how good they are. <laughs> and like with my dad like he would basically say so certain things of course certain things were poetic right and basically the catholic church their stance on genesis is that it's basically poetic right i mean it's true but it's not true in a scientific way right so they, they right. make two different types of truth and they say it's not true in a scientific uh, manner but my dad like he actually he was much more literal and like so i was raised as, as a six-day creationist mm-hmm. Like I, I actually believed until you know just a few years ago, basically that that everything was created in six days, right? So, so you you start, but then, but then as you start actually learning about like animals and stuff, and you're like, well, you know, these animals are obviously designed to like eat each other, right? I mean, or like mosquitoes, like they're obviously des- designed to suck your blood and cause you misery, right? And so, so then you have to invent things like, well, you know, the mosquitoes were actually, you know they were you know designed to su- you know suck nectar like it wasn't actually blood right i mean anyway you just make up stuff right and and so so but the most frustrating thing to me was like when i would come to my parents like with these inconsistencies that i found wanting the truth right so that's the, that's the thing like i've been trained to like want the truth and that the truth was the most important thing and then we had the truth right <clears throat> so i would come to them with these apparent inconsistencies not trying to argue with them but just like you know be like okay like how, how do i explain this and a lot of times 
I mean, like the most frustrating response was their apparent inconsistencies. So that, that was always like the starting point, right? Like, so if, if you if you believe that your group has the truth, there are no inconsistencies. There are there is there's nothing lacking, right? So if anything looks like it's lacking, it's just apparent. It's apparent inconsistencies. And so then and then we were talking about like, well, how both could be true, right? Like they were, mm -hmm. I mean, both both were true. Is that is that something that you felt was also understood by you to as you assessed your own um, condition, let's say, as you assessed your own well-being or something okay. like that? Did you notice any inconsistencies there, and were you trying to apply the concept of apparent inconsistency or or anything like that? Like, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I mean. And and what was the what was uh, the, the moment where it began to crack for you like this whole worldview that led you? Know, you well, okay, yeah. So, so I forgot to finish my story. So so after I came came back, I was like nineteen, came back, uh, worked for them for a while for about another year, and then we would have like these different like guests, you know, come and like you know stay with us or work with us for a summer. Um, actually, the kibbutz would do the same thing, right? Like my my father in law yeah. lived on a kibbutz for a summer. Oh, good. Back, back in the seventies, um, actually, maybe it was the same one that you're at. I'll, I'll have to find out which one, uh, which one he was at. Um, and he he really liked it. Um, so we had this this you know um, girl who was staying with us. She was like in her you know I mean her twenties. So that that was my you know future wife Martha, and we we hit it off pretty well. You know, just kind of as, as friends, right? There was a little group of like young adults living there, and she, she really wanted to make a movie, and I you know I had. That was my background, right? And interesting, I mean, tying back into like the idea of self-love, like I had gotten to the point, like going to the film school had basically destroyed my desire to make movies. It had it basically crushed, it, it, it crushed my desire. Like I had been exposed to like how movies should be made. I had been exposed to like, you know, how like this, like the, you know, storytelling, you know, all this like deep philosophy and technique and all, you know, cameras and all lighting, all the stuff of how movies should be made. And I was looking at my cr crappy movies that I had a blast making and I, I judged them so harshly and I just hated them. And like, basically I, I tried making another movie with my friends, like on like, you know, one of the breaks during my, during my uh, course. And <laughs> it was the worst experience ever. Like I was trying to direct them and, and they were just trying to have fun, right? They were trying to make this fun movie. And I was so freaking serious. And I was just like, like, no, no, we have to, we have to get this light over here. We have to do this. And I was thinking what my classmates would say and what my teachers would say if they saw what right. I was doing. And so, yeah, that, that's really key. I mean, that, that is super important because, yeah, basically going to film school destroyed my desire to make movies. So, so that was really interesting. Um, so here, but here I was with this, with this woman that, you know, I was, I was kind of attracted to, and, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed, you know, talking to him. and she wanted to make a movie. And in my mind, I was like, okay. And like the, the biggest hurdle I had was the story because the thing that had been hammered into us was story is king. Like you can have the best produced movie ever, but if the story is crap, nobody is going to watch it. Nobody cares. Right. Hollywood so listen to this advice, by the way. I don't know if you saw the Marvel, Marvel movies, but I yeah. don't think they're based around that philosophy. Or uh, a, yeah, a, a like, story of, or not. Yeah, a, it's a mostly action, right? Explosions and stuff, I'd say. 
Right. Well, I mean, yeah, there's certain Marvel movies I like, but the, the, the one I would say, I don't know if you ever saw the Transformers movie. No. Like that whole series of movies, but th- those ones I could I can barely watch because it's just, there's nothing, no human kind of, you know, emotional thing that I can glom right. onto. So meaning, meaningless. Um, okay, but anyway, so, so but she was like, oh, wait, wait, I, I, I want to I write the screenplay. L- let me do the story. You don't have to do the story. I'll do the story. You, you just you just direct it we, we, we'll do costumes we'll get our friends to act in it and, you know and do, you do the editing i like the editing um i'm very good at it and so we so we did it we spent like a, a month basically making this movie that was it was a musical it was, it was really fun it was <laughs> so so we used uh songs from fiddler on the roof um the story was based on beowulf and and then we had a few songs from uh mary poppins thrown in there so it's <laughs> super crazy super weird and, and we just had it was it was so much fun and 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 that was basically the beginning of like like falling in love like like working together on that you know creative project um was it was the beginning so then we got married uh and then about a year later you know that we got married later that year we had our first daughter and then about a year into our marriage like martha was basically starting to kind of like butt up against like the the uh the authority right like, like she, she, she was really like, she, she was having up to that point. She was having a blast. She was really enjoying being in, in the community, but she'd always had much more of this independent streak. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as we had a kid, like there started being a lot, like we weren't allowed to use disposable diapers. They had to be cloth diapers. Um, I mean, there's those kind of interesting little like rules that kind of came out that she felt like she wanted to decide on her own. Right. Like she wanted to have right. more, or like, or what color to paint her house or, you know, all these different things. Like we were living on this compound, right? About 20 different houses. So she was, she was starting to butt up against that. Like I was doing my, my thing, which is basically saying like the, the language they used in community is called coming under, right? You would like, you would come under the, the, the group, right? Which mm-hmm. basically meant you submitted your desires, your will for the sake of the common good. Right. Right. And they definitely didn't want people to be unhappy or miserable like so like so that that was, that was part of like the, it was almost a double bind in that sense it's like you had to submit but you couldn't be you had to be happy about it right because if you're miserable and crabby like that would affect the group right yeah like, so so it's like it was so I, that's the thing like i got really good at basically submitting my desires and my my will in a way that yeah it was like i was happy enough i was happy enough to keep going but martha wasn't like she was not willing to do that she was she was like no screw this like this is not what i signed up for um and, and basically the community kind of felt the same way they're like yeah well maybe you should take like a few a few years like you know kind of live on your own kind of experience what it's like because you know once again like i'm not making money i got married without a job no money no no skills like it, it was insane like what the hell was i doing and, and not only got married i also had a baby right i had a, I had, a, I had a kid so, so I remember sitting there on the couch, like basically when they had decided like, oh yeah, okay. You know, the community's kind of going this direction. Um, and the other, there was another family that was there, like my cousins, they had kids, they were leaving too. So there weren't going to be any kids left. And I remember sitting on the couch in this catatonic state of just being like, I like, it, it was like catatonic. Like I could not, I, I just, I felt paralyzed. I was just like, I, I, I can't move. I can't. I basically can't like they, they were asking me to like 
to walk when I had never walked, right? They were asking me to to go out into this world that I, I was not like. So it was basically like walking the plank on a fire chip or something like that. Sure, right, right. But, but, but <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what, that's what it felt like. But, it, but, it's, but it's almost like, but like all, all the pirates were like my friends and my family. Yeah. And they were saying like, oh, you'll be fine now. You'll be, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. And they were all acting like it was normal. And I was, I was, I was basically saying like, I can't swim. I can't, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to die. There's sharks. Like what the, that, what the hell are that, you doing? That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, so like, so like, yeah, basically I would say like, I wasn't, I didn't leave the community. I was, I was, I mean, I, I could have stayed, but it would have basically meant like, you know, leaving my wife. So, yeah. so I would say like that, that was the beginning. Like that, that was the beginning of the cracking was based on my relationship with Martha, where I actually started, I actually developed for the first time, I would say, like a friendship that was greater than the group. Like it was actually greater. Like I sacrificed my, my belonging in the community, my, my, my contributions, my being part of that. I sacrificed that in order to basically make this other person, this one person happy. Which I, I, I was a very that was very good like that was extremely that was a huge part of my of what you were saying basically developing that sense of self because it's like she like for the most part like I everyone I had related to I related to them as part as basically you know a cell in that super organism right right like I I would always like if they had questions to me about like philosophical questions or whatever I would just I would just tell them what the community believed I would tell them what my parents believed. But it's like Martha for the first time, like that was someone who's interested in me specifically, and she didn't care about the group. Right. I, w I was gonna say if, if that's if you know it's maybe it's through Martha that you actually were able to see yourself as someone different, and maybe if you put yourself in in her shoes, then you had this kind of reflexive view on yourself where you actually see yourself as an individual for the first time because she fell in love with you not with the community you know um, and she loves you not the community and yeah. i wonder if that's where um you were first able to explicitly maybe even think about uh self-love yeah no I, I think i think it was key i think it really was uh because yeah, be actually before that i you know, I said I was, I was happy enough or whatever, but before I started like relating to her and kind of like the whole, like, we, we didn't call it dating. We, it, was, it was courtship, right? It was, it was, it was very formal. And, uh, <laughs> but, but just, you know, just the best type of dating really is just to live like, like every day we saw each other every day. Yeah. You know, in very casual kind of like, you know, circumstances, like we, we'd eat, you know, the, the group would eat meals together. We would, we would do activities together, different types of the day. You know, so it's like, I mean, that that really was like the best way to date. Um, there isn't the, the pressure of like, we're both right. we're both here for the explicit um, <laughs> goal of being together. And, you know, and I have to present myself as, as X, which might not be my real self. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, I was so nervous. Like the first time like we went on an, a real date, like to this restaurant, like I got... I was, my, my nerves are so high. Like I, we were sitting there trying to eat and I, I felt like I had to throw up and I like, ran to the bathroom and threw up in the bathroom. Exactly. Yeah. I was just like, but after that we realized like, well, what the hell are we doing? Like neither of us even enjoy going to restaurants, you know, like why, why do that? Like, so we go for walks or we would just, we would, 
just sit and talk, right? I mean, we, we basically found what worked for us um, and we didn't have to like try to like impress each other. Um, it took me a long time to, you know, finally realize I didn't have to actually, you know, impress her. Like I just, I like <laughs> or I basically impress her in the sense of like, you know, what, what, uh, you know, the external idea, like what, what romance should look like. Right. 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 You didn't, like I, would, I would do these great acts of like, you know, romance, like write these poems or do these things. And she'd be like, Oh, that's nice. So yeah, whatever. I mean, no, I, mean I think, I think that a lot of what we do in life is, is definitely influenced by, by what we see and hear and to, each one of us, there is sort of an aesthetic to to living well, an aesthetic of, of love, you know, and it's what we got the ideas from, be it books or, or anything like that. And I think it's a big, big thing that we could do to ourselves is to actually let go of these assumptions of these aesthetics that are related to these things and, and surprise yourself, basically, right? Um, think of love as, as an abstract thing. And right. it, that doesn't have to do with specific activities or think of, of living well as an abstract thing that doesn't depend on um, having a certain job. Um, right. Well, yeah. I mean, what, what, what you're getting at, though, is like is basically and this goes back to the self-love thing. It's like is trusting yourself. Yes. Or like what I had, it took me like probably a couple of years to finally realize with Martha, like she wasn't in, she was actually interested in me like she wasn't interested in you know this amazing stuff that i could do or like you know like i mean it wasn't it was so that was powerful right i mean that was like like whoa wait a second like maybe maybe there's actually something of value mm. just intrinsically right mm. so something like actually like I, that's not a matter of uh creating some sort of uh great you know but basically winning that somehow right yeah, she wasn't thinking about you in terms of, uh, you know, what you could provide to her or any. Other oh yes, oh, yeah, definitely that. Like, yeah, she didn't, she didn't, yeah. she did not care at all about, uh, about you know, wealth at all. I mean, I was the wrong person to marry for that. Like, I was literally, I was literally living with my parents. I mean, that, that's about <laughs> as like irresponsible as you and a bunch of other people, right? And a bunch of other people keeping me alive. So, so in terms of in terms of the your first steps in the direction of actually doing things that are expressions of, of self-love? Like, could you point to something that you did that was an act of self-love? Interesting. Huh. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure if I would, I've never thought of it as self-love, but basically my, uh, so like, so, we, you know, we spent a couple of years, like, you know, living outside the community. Like I was doing kind of like, I, I tried construction for a while for the, you know, his family friend. He basically fired me because I was so bad. Um, and then I got this job, like a sales job. Um, still, we still weren't making very much money. We were below the poverty line. Um, but but I started reading about sales, you know, because I was doing sales. And that's when I started. I read Robert Cialdini and, you know, trying to learn about persuasion so I could try to like make a little more money, right? Um, and, and basically he started, I mean, I guess in a certain sense, reading and basically starting to pursue like, you know, psychology or kind of my own education like that, that, that was self-love. Like that was, that was basically saying, okay, here now, here's what you're interested in and letting myself like buy these books, read these books. No one, no one was telling me to do it. It was all on me. And basically the, the, like, like that book was one of the keys. And basically like I'd already left like, you know, the community. So like my faith, like, even though I was still Catholic in a certain sense, like my, 
like my Catholicism had always been tied into that certain flavor. So like, once again, I looked at the other Catholics and it was kind of like looking at my brothers, like, you know, okay, they go to mass every Sunday that, you know, they say they're Catholic, but they're not, they're not real Catholics. They're not like I was, you know, like they don't, they don't have that. Like, I mean, what, what's the point? I don't want to do that. So, so I was at this kind of crossroads, like kind of realizing like if I was going to be state, state Catholic, I would have to basically create my own meaning out of that in a certain sense. I would have to like do more, you know, I would have to make it my own, right? That's what they say. Make it my, make it your own. And I wasn't really interested, but I was interested in like, you know, making money because we, we were super poor. So I was reading these books on psychology and he basically like the, the, the tenet that I glommed onto was that humans are irrational humans like we we are actually irrational we are actually we're driven by our emotions people do not buy for the reasons they say they buy they buy for emotions they buy because they trust the salesperson they buy because they they want the feeling that buying is going to give them they don't buy because of reason and right. and there's different stories in there like you know showing like these different uh, you know examples right and and it just made me it basically gave me a way of seeing how I was raised as false without having to rebel against it. And that was really interesting because it's like, I mean, like my brother had basically kind of rebelled. Like he, he'd rebelled and basically, you know, said, I don't really want anything to do with this. And I think that's the normal kind of reaction is just to re rebel and throw it all away, right? Right, yeah. But, but I had experienced these really good things and like, I didn't want to throw it all away. I didn't want to like shut off my parents. I didn't want to, and realizing like psychologically, like my parents could basically have, lied to me <laughs> with without having any maliciousness right basically just i'm or just realizing they their like belief is not necessarily built on reason it's an emotion so like i was able to basically see my parents as these people that are sincere and believe these things but but completely wrong and i, th I think i think that was really that was powerful and, and that and that kind of whole process like basically led me to the point where I, I stopped being Catholic. I mean, I, I just, I, I got to the point where I realized, you know what, um, based on the evidence that I'm, I'm looking at, based on, you know, these people I'm reading that I, I, you know, that are more logically consistent, like I'm not, I don't, I don't think it holds up. I just don't. And, 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 and basically like the loving myself in that sense though, like was doing it in a way that, that, that kept those relationships there. Like I, I basically told my, told, you know, I started with Martha basically saying like, you know, I feel like I'm going this direction. And, and she was, she was still very, you know, she still is a very devout uh, Catholic. Like she, 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 she still believes it. Mm. She, um, my parents are, but I, I basically, I basically shared it with them. Basically say like, you know what? I, I'm not, uh, I don't, I, I forget how I you know, phrased it, how I, how I put it, but, but that, that was real. I mean, that was really hard to do. But I think that was like, that was one of the first steps of like, cause it, cause it would have been so easy. And like, once again, this is kind of what I was doing at, at, when I was in the community, like whenever I would have like these doubts about like, you know, well, is this, is this true? Like I would very quickly just repress it because right. I was like, shit, you know, I, I, cause I was smart enough to realize where that would lead me. Right. Yeah. Like, e either, either it would lead me to leave and be on my own, which was, you know, like I said, that was like complete like i couldn't even comprehend that so i didn't even i didn't even want to think about that like that was that was death or it would lead to this terrible double life where i basically was a complete hypocrite believing you know this complete like you know false you know 
basically my actions would be completely not lined up with what my beliefs were. And that, that was, and that, that was one thing I got from the community too, which is like the, the number one, like, you know, the Catholics have mortal sins, right? Like basically sins that you'll go straight to hell for. Yeah. Um, but in, from the community's perspective, the only mortal sin that the community had, can can you guess what it was? <laughs> wow. That's a good question. Um, what, what is the one unforgivable sin? <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure is it is it something obvious like it would be easy to guess or i don't i don't know i don't know oh I, the one I, mortal sin i mean well, for, from i mean i would say this applies to a lot of groups too i don't think it was specifically this community so what it, it's like announcing like being uh being an apostate or apostate or something no no because like once again like i left and then they, they still they still relate to me they, they still talk to me right so, so the ones the one sin and so some groups obviously is like they'll, they'll just cut it off completely if you yeah. if you leave but the the main sin at least from my perspective as a kid growing up what was lying lying it was basically deception it was it's like amazing in in light of everything you you told you know about how you <laughs> realized that um the truth was not uh, priority number one when approaching texts. Um, it's really interesting, you know, in ancient Greek, the word for lie is um, sudes, but it also means any untruth. So there's no distinguishing between lying and an untruth because they are equally um, harmful or useful. But um, actually, if you're telling an untruth, you better be lying um, <laughs> Yeah, either either because you know, either because you want to, um, because you want to know what you're doing, right? You don't want to um, just tell an untruth because you don't know. So if you're trying to deceive someone, you're telling an untruth. Um, but it could be used for good ends in dialectic, for example. Um, yeah, as as can be seen, won't go into this here. But anyway, just. Interesting. No, that, that's fascinating. I actually got into a whole discussion with someone on Twitter recently, who who's basically you know believing saying the same thing, like saying like even if someone believes what they're saying, if it's not true, it's a lie. And my my response was no. There is a huge difference, right, between someone actively deceiving you versus someone believing something that's not true. And basically, my like once again, like that's kind of been the philosophy I've been developing is just realizing ninety nine percent of what everyone says is not true, like. And then this is and this is like David Deutsch again. Like like he calls it fall, fallibility, right? Yeah. He's like, if you don't believe in fallibility, you're screwed. Like yeah. if you don't believe that most of science is fake, <laughs> or not fake, but but uh, not complete, right? You're screwed. You're never gonna develop another theory. You're never gonna you're never gonna progress. Right. I mean, just just think about the person who tells um, a person is is showing up in town and asks how to go to the beach, and the person tells him it's it's across it's across these. Um, train tracks um he tells him it's across these train tracks just cross them um you'll see a sign that says that um the train passes every 20 minutes but don't worry about it the train has not been working for the last 20 years you know okay. now, he could actually be telling um the truth from his perspective but the trains have just started running again after 20 years on that day right well the person goes there and he dies and it really doesn't matter if the person told him to cross it not even looking right and left, it really doesn't matter if if he was lying or just 
you know, innocently. Well, it does. See, it does. I mean, it doesn't matter to the person who dies. No, it doesn't but matter. It does, but it does matter to the group. Okay. And this is where, this is where, like, from my you know experience, the difference here, here's the difference. Okay. The difference is that if that man was part of a group and he's, and he said like that train is not running, you know, for, you know, whatever. And he was wrong. If he was sincere, he is still trustworthy. Yes, okay. you are he absolutely is still, right. He is still trustworthy. If yeah. he was lying, he has he has he is no longer trustworthy, yes. and he cannot be trusted in the future. Okay, absolutely. And that that so basically, this community of people they basically live as it's almost like a giant marriage. Okay, like like a lot of the I mean they weren't having sex, but it was it was it was like a lot of there was a you know this core group of maybe like fifteen adults that. They even like committed like their entire lives, like they they made lifetime commitments to each other. Right. Yeah, and the biggest, and I, I do believe that the main reason they've stuck together is because they developed a sense, this ability to communicate honestly with each other. Yeah, on a very deep, emotional, sincere level that most people never even want to get close to. Um, so yeah, so that, that that's where I would I would say yeah, from the individual's perspective, no difference. From the group's perspective. If you have someone who's deceiving and lying and not, and not, so like, so in a certain sense, like I would, I would sin, I would do, I would, you know, do sexual things or whatever. I would, I would, you know, break rules. Okay. But the one thing I always did, I would, I would, I would basically let them know. I I would confess. I mean, I, I would, you know, Catholics have confession that's private, but it's like in a certain sense, I would still, if I did things that I knew were wrong, like once again, it wasn't that I didn't believe what the community, like I believe them. Yeah. You know, like, so, so if I've had these, you know, urges or like these desires or whatever, and I would go off and do something that I knew was wrong, like I would make sure that it was not like in a certain sense, they knew about it or at least after the fact. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> like if, fascinating. If, if it was going to, if it was going to affect my relationship with the authorities and with the group. Sure. Like, so, I mean, so that was, yeah. So that, that was, that was the one unforgivable sin. The one unforgivable sin is basically deception and and lying. So so that I think that that is still a huge part of me, and and one reason like but it that was very disturbing to me. So that, that's the thing. As I would start finding these inconsistencies or these things areas where I thought was, were not true, it was very disturbing to me to realize that there probably was deception going on at some point, you know, or there was like, and even with my parents, like like for the most part, like I I've, I'm able to like look at them and be like, okay, I think you know I, I can still relate to them. Because once again, like I, I found these different psychological reasons why they might have been sincere and still wrong. But there's probably areas where, okay, I'll, I'll share one example. So like w- w- when I was still in the community, like we would we were having a meeting with some of the men, right? And we were kind of like talking about very personal things and maybe like praying for each other or something. And at one point, like I was basically expressing to my dad, and this is before I was married, and like, so yeah, so interest inter interestingly like after i i came i left film school came back when i was 19 i i was definitely not as happy as i was before like there was a lot of resentment towards my dad specifically okay like one time i was sitting next to him at the table and uh and i was so angry at him like just like irrationally and like all i could imagine was like picking up the fork and just stabbing it through his hand like in the middle of this community meal like i was just like this vivid image of just like stabbing his hand and just how good that would feel it's like wow oh, yes so we had we were having this meeting and i was sharing basically my anger towards him right 
And like, and that was one of those things as a kid, like these double binds we develop with our parents where it's like, we get angry and resentful, but because we're dependent on them, we, we end up feeling guilty about it. And then it's called the anger dependence guilt cycle, I think, mm-hmm. where you basically go through this whole cycle of like resentment when you're basically dependent on people in a way that you really shouldn't be dependent. Like, you don't, I mean, it's like, there I was, I was a, I was a grown man, right? Like right. I should have been out doing, blazing my own trail, doing my own thing, thinking for myself. And I wasn't. Okay. And so I was expressing this anger to my dad and stuff. And like, it, it was really good. And like, he was apologizing. He was like, Nat, you know, I, I tried my best. Like, I, you know, I'm sure there's times I've hurt you and you know, it was, it was really good. Right. And then at the end, like we, we just started hugging each other and which is very rare. And we we're just holding each other, like hugging each other, like standing up there. And like, I started crying and, and then he, he said something he said, Nat, it's either all true or it isn't. And it was, you know, it was nice. You know, we parted ways, you know, and, and, but, but that, that line he said, like, that was like, <laughs> that was like this key that let me like, let go of my anger towards him because it was like the first time in my life, in my memory, at least that he was actually admitting doubt. Wow. That's, like, that's amazing. Like, it, 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 that, that, that was it. Like it's either all, it's either true or, or it isn't that, or it isn't. Right was so living like, living like a tiny crack this tiny in the crack. door you know yeah and just it's into his into his and like once again like he was the leader right like like he he had to project confidence he had to project total belief right right and i think for the most part he really did you know i think like he even had the story like when he was like a kid like like my age he was out like early on his in his conversion like where he became like super like radical you know on fire and like you know, believing the Bible and wanting to live this crazy way. He was, uh, he was reading the Bible and having doubts. And he really, so he's like, I was just, I went out in the backyard and I raised the Bible up in the air. And I said, I believe, I believe. Like he shouted as loud as he could. And he said, after that day, I didn't have any doubts. They were all gone. And, And to someone like me, like, especially like even back then as a kid, that was disturbing to me. Right. Like, like what the hell? Like that's not how truth works. Truth, truth isn't a matter of like going out and yelling as loud as you can that you believe. You know, like like what? And, and I think it was even more disturbed that it actually worked. That it actually like he basically like switched switched off this part of his brain, the skeptical part of his brain. He switched it off, and then and he just moved on. Yeah, there's a there's a, a line in isn't that mother- horrifying. Yeah, I can, I can see why you felt like it for sure. There's a there's a line in um, Kurt Vonnegut's book Mother Night about um, I I can't I can't read it um, word for word, but it's something about you know basically I fucked up in life. I did some things. There were things that I got wrong, um, but you couldn't accuse me ever of intentionally filing off some of my gears. You know uh, we oh it's yeah. Some, some of our gears are, are not there. We, we lack the pieces and we're not perfectly rational and we lack parts of the truth. And you could yep. accuse me of many things, but not once have I ever filed off um, like a, a gear tooth, you know, you to, to make a, a thing missing. And I really related with that quote, to, to that quote. Um, yeah, and it certainly seems that some people are happily filing away some of the teeth so that things things like i don't know somehow sit better in their mind or uh, make things easy for them um i want to ask you 
going going back to like the progression, the the chronology after living and kind of just becoming much more normative in 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 your way of life. I mean, you live in an RV, so it's not that normative, but <laughs> not, not anymore. For for a while, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the was it, did it become a lot easier for you then to kind of invest in yourself and do you feel like some uh, chakra was opening up so to speak where you it just things became easier or is it always like lingering is it something that's lingering in the back like thoughts about um, investing in yourself in some way or trusting your own intuitions and decisions yeah um i would say it's it's still lingering um it's gotten there wasn't like an instant instant change um the way i would describe like my kind of like leaving my faith was uh oh actually going back to my dad real quick though like the the thing like we we express that doubt like i think that was the reason i was like less of my resentment is because in my mind like he was actually apologizing for the thing that was the most painful which was that deception because if he had doubt that meant that there were times where he was like teaching me things that he didn't fully believe absolutely and that was the one that was the thing that, that i was apparently most angry about so so by expressing that like that actually yeah anyways that was, I, i'm just realizing that now talking to you um so so yeah like i remember one time like i was staying in this hotel room by myself because i would drive off and you know sell this food and stuff and that was that was my job and i was actually i was thinking about a date i forget the artist's name but he, he made this he put this giant like uh formaldehyde like you know preserved shark in this glass tank and he, and he called it the impossible or the inconceivability of death in the mind of someone living i mean it's just, it's just really stupid like you know <laughs> modern art right but but that uh that phrase the inconceivability of death in the mind of someone living had stuck with me for years so i was laying there like in my hotel room during this whole process and i actually imagined myself dying like i was like okay he says it's inconceivable all right let me try let me try and i imagined myself dying and like basically not go- not going to heaven not going to hell not like any other stuff i believed but just nothing and i was lying there and i just started crying because i just i basically realized i mean it was like it was like uh, the first time I had actually admitted I was going to die, like that, that it was going to end, that the, that the most likely thing was that it was going to end and there was going to be nothing and that was it. And, and basically it was just like this, it was, it was maybe self-pity in a certain sense, but it was like basically mourning. It was realizing that if I didn't cry now, like I wouldn't be able to cry later. Like I, I there, you know, it's like, it was, it was gut wrenching. It was just like so horrifying, but it felt so, it felt true i felt like i think this is it so so that that was definitely a key moment another thing i did too which was interesting is like i would go on reddit and i would read stories of people that left the mormon church Hmm. and it was so interesting because the mormon church like emotionally i knew they were wrong like i knew it was wrong it was based on like some guy that lived like you know 100 years ago totally inconsistent totally false he was a convict right Uh, for yeah yeah right i mean yeah it seemed seemed like i mean the evidence seemed pretty clear to me as an outsider that it was fake right and but i was so so i was able to go in there and read their uh you know the description of what it was like being in the church and then leaving it 
and they would talk about like all my friends were part of the church all my you know my my book clubs were part of the church all this you know, like I, I couldn't even imagine leaving like my entire social life was like you know my identity was there all this stuff and like every everything they were saying lined up with exactly how i, I felt all right and, and but it was so interesting like if i had gone and, and i'd read like stories about catholics leaving it i, I don't think it would have had the same effect because i, I believed it like that, that's the thing like emotionally like i believed it so it was only by looking at another group that I knew that I knew was wrong mm. and seeing that psychologically they were as convinced as I was, they were as absolutely, you know, sure of their faith as I was like 100%. And they had, they had gone through this process and then now they were on the outside. Like, I think, I think that was so interesting. So I, I would recommend that like anytime like you think you're like you're in a group or you, you have a belief system that might, you know, that you're, you might be a little too emotionally attached to, Find one that is that that you do not believe in, like flat Earth, right? Go read about flat earthers. Read read the read the accounts of someone that believed flat Earth, and then and then went through that, and you will be so humbled. And like that's why like, I don't make fun of people that believe in flat Earth. Like like people love making fun of them. I don't. Like if I was making I like I know exactly what that feels like. Like I I'm not gonna make fun of them. Like they, they those like they're sincere people smart people who are like once again like david deutsch said using their intelligence to prove something that they believe in, instead of like using their intelligence to disprove what they believe right they're using their intelligence to confirm what they believe and that is such a normal human thing to do and everyone that hates the only i mean that's what gets, gets me so disturbed all these people that hate flat earth like if they were born like you know a thousand years ago they would all believe it too like they would all believe it like all the, yeah like, just yeah because like it's mainstream now like these like believing the earth is round is a mainstream belief most people don't believe it based on their own evidence or reasoning like they believe it because they were taught it like so so in my mind like like that, that that's kind of just a side rant but it's like all, all what i found is that by actually like going to the psychology of like belief like what does belief actually feel like what does it look like and and the problem is it it looks the same and feels the same no matter if it's true or not right that's fascinating yeah um we're gonna give like a final a final push towards the the finish line soon but i do want to remark on what you just said on flat earthers or whether it's anti-vaxxers any kind of group today that is yeah defying um mainstream science i think that a lot of the people that side with the science it's not that they're not more right when it comes to reason and 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 rationale behind the decisions they are they have but they they more happen to be on that side than they realize and i say happen to be because they could have easily been on the other side and i think that a lot of the people that become uh, that use derogatory terms and mock other people well you might be right on the science side of things um this time uh, but first of all, I don't think that there's enough scientific literacy among the general population, even those who trust the scientists still. Um, going down the route of denigrating people for what they believe is just lacking a whole other aspect of wisdom, which is actually 
how do I approach someone in a way that's beneficial to both of us? Yeah. Because well, I, I would say it's even the opposite. I would say, or not the opposite, but I, I would say if, if you're using those emotional um, persuasion techniques or like relying on like name calling or different things, it, it means that you don't actually, you're bolstering a lack of faith. Like you, you are basically, it, it is, it is a lack of faith. Yeah. This is like, like there's a like once again going back to the Mormons, like these stories I was reading. This one man, you know, because they go off on missionary trips, right? Like every, yeah, yeah. like they're, they're like you know, which I think right around when they're eighteen or something. Yeah. But this one guy, like he was really struggling with doubt. Like he was really struggling. Like you know, very intellectual, smart guy. He's like, this doesn't line up. This doesn't doesn't line up. Like how how can I go be a missionary? Like I can't go tell. I can't go preach. Like I I, I feel you know conflicted. And and guess what? Guess what? The advice that they that he, that he was given, like they basically sat him down and they're like, okay, yeah, that's, that's understandable. You know, a lot of us have doubts and things, but, but you know what the best, the best thing you can do when you have doubt is go preach, go, go try to convince these other people, mm. go, go. And, and he did it and it, and it worked. And that like, once again, that, that is so disturbing to me. That's that so sick. disturbing yeah. to me, but, but, but not, not just, but the fact that it works though. So that, that's the thing. Like I'm a huge believer in like, I mean, like, I mean, I don't, I don't know the extent of it, but like positive thinking or these different, these different things that people talk about, it's like, there is something to that. We really do have the power to influence what we believe in a way that's not based on objective reality. Like the fact that he would go out there and like try to convince people that he was right. And the fact that he actually ended up believing the words that he was speaking, like, whoa, I mean that, so, so I, I would, I would just say like, I mean, I would, I would caution anyone that finds themselves in a position where they're like trying desperately to persuade someone. I would say like, you know what? There's some doubt that you're trying to cover up. Right. You have, you, you might want to look at yourself and be like, okay, why, why am I trying so hard to persuade these other people? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, there, there's the story of, I, I'm not really sure who the guy is. I can't remember his name, but write a very famous story about a guy who ran basically like a, conversion therapy centers or something oh, for, for, for homosexuals right yeah, yeah yeah and you know before coming out as gay and um it's exactly. it's it's related i think it's related to, to that whole um thing yeah so i'd like us to try and and tie the loop on the on the self-love theme and i mean going forward or these days like what are your thoughts about how do you apply it in your life how do you see it um being applied going forward yeah my my experience with like you know trying to going out on my own basically leaving my faith behind in a certain sense it felt like leaving this warm cozy you know too small environment and but going out into the night and not not finding another one so so that that's been kind of my my question or my quest the past like maybe five six years is does that like basically can someone love themselves in a way that in a way that makes up for the loss of of a group because i because i am basically my, my tendency like you know leaving leaving the you know my childhood faith like i i got involved with politics for a while i got i, I kept looking for like basically it was interesting it was basically a bunch of like these kind of like middle-aged father figures you know very super confident super like uh, smart, or at least uh, apparently smart, 
you know, successful men who are leading like, you know, different movements or philosophies. And I would like glom onto them for a while and be like, Oh, finally, I found, I found the alternative, right. I found the answer. And, and then, but then slowly I would start finding the chinks and flaws in their thinking and find where they were cutting off the gears. Right. Uh, in, in order to be more persuasive. Um, and I'd be like, Oh crap. I, I, I guess they're not, you know, they're, they're not the, right replacement for for my my father or my god either um so so that, that's been the past like five years of going through that you know trying to find the person who like basically if i follow them and they they look at me and they approve of me and they say nat you know well done my good and faithful servant right like well done son like you 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 followed my precepts yeah and, and then basically then having that sense of oh Oh, I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm a good, good person again. Right. Yeah. Um, that's, that's amazing. So, so that, that's kind of got me. So like basically where I am now, like the whole, yeah, the whole sense of goodness. Oh my God. Like from, from, from all I can tell, like the whole sense of goodness, like being a good person can only come from a group or an authority. Like in my mind, like if you, if it's, if it's important for you to be a good person, you are never going to be free from what other people think of you. Because like, wow, like, we have so much to talk about going forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might have to do another, another podcast. So, so yeah, that, that's where, that's where I'm at right now. It's just like, it's like having, being like, okay, now, I mean, like how, how do I end up loving these parts of myself that I've been so, you know, conditioned to think of as evil or as bad or as untrustworthy. And is that, is that possible? And, and can I do it without getting sucked into another group? where I'm basically outsourcing my sense of worth and love. And, and, you know, intellectually, I know that's completely unreliable and will screw me, but emotionally it's like, I want that. Like I just, I want some group or some powerful figure to, to love me. So I don't have to do it myself. Yeah. And, and I think that many of us who say otherwise are, are probably lying right? <laughs> to say that we, we wouldn't want to, to, have this reassurance with us at all time um yeah so i i just want to say that personally i think it's something that we haven't discussed explicitly here but i think the most amazing part of your story um even though it involves like these characters and this very untraditional way of life and you breaking away with it and doing all that i think the most unusual Thing here if anybody was paying attention is the fact that you managed to ever so gently and lovingly blaze your own path but not at the expense of others which i think it's amazing be it, be it the community where you grew up uh be it your wife that is still a, a believer um that is that is absolutely amazing and 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 hopeful and cheerful to me to look at and and that's really that's one of the main things I'm, I'm taking from from this conversation with you so i really like that that aspect of of your conduct and i think that it it's exemplary of both self-love and and love for others you know um yeah. it's just there it's totally evident and you don't have to talk about it to show it yeah now to wrap things up i'd like you to uh, first of all Anything you have to add um, in terms of something maybe we haven't covered and then let our listeners know where they can follow you 
and see what you're doing if that's something that you want people to to see yeah i, I guess to, to wrap up is just uh you know even though i'm still in the process of kind of searching that the one thing I, I feel most confident about and i want anyone listening to to realize is that is that if you have any sense of of self-hatred or or, or lack of trust or love for yourself, it, it's coming from the outside, and and you can you can safely ignore that. <laughs> if you if you need, you need to take my if you, basically if you need if you need someone's permission to ignore that, like you have my permission. I, I don't I, that's I, I don't see any any way that that's uh, helpful or useful uh, in anybody's life. Um, so I think that's that's a good starting point for anyone. It's just no matter where you go, no matter where your path takes you. Um, you can start by letting go of those those negative feelings towards yourself, and yeah, I think the uh, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I, I actually I, I made a few connections that I hadn't made before, so that was, I appreciate you letting me talk about myself so much. <laughs> um, of course, and and yeah, I, I I like what you said about uh or about maintaining those relationships, and that's something I it was super hard to do. Like it, it really was hard to go that extra step, but I think that's the thing is I part of my self-love for myself is realizing that I do I do love other people and I, I want to be loved by them so it's finding a way of doing that while still honoring the other parts of me that want to think for myself and want to you know blaze my own trail so but we'll see if we'll see if it's possible if you're interested in following along I guess Twitter's the best place um, I share all sorts of random things there uh, so that's nat underscore sharp underscore so two underscores um, and that's uh, but yeah Definitely. So thanks a lot, y'all. Uh, this has been uh, it's been fun. So. Thank you, Nat. It's been lovely. And um, until next time. All righty. Have a good night. You too.